0: welcome to subscribing to wellness the show where rachel newman and myself daniel fairman sit down with leading founders executives and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers hey listeners i just wanted to quickly mention my favorite hydration supplement element hydration is a crucial part of life and it isn't just about drinking water Being optimally hydrated is actually about optimizing your body's fluid ratios. This fluid balance depends on many factors, including the intake and excretion of electrolytes. Electrolytes are charged minerals that conduct electricity to power your nervous system. They also regulate hydration status by balancing fluids inside and outside your cells. Current science points to consuming 4 to 6 grams of sodium, 3 to 0.5 to 5 grams of potassium, and 400 to 600 milligrams of magnesium per day from diet and supplements for optimal health outcomes. It can be hard to consume these ranges from whole food diets, especially sodium. Element was formulated with a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Just as important as what is put in Element is what is left out. Dodgy ingredients and public health enemy number one, sugar. I've been consuming the product for about a year and absolutely love it. And if you want to get started today, you should go to drinkelement.com slash subscribing to wellness for a special introductory deal on your first order. That's drinkelement, L-M-N-T dot slash subscribing to wellness. You won't regret it.
1: Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Cole Riley, founder and CEO of Welfare. Welfare is the first free food program in the country focused on improving access to convenient nutrition for food insecure households. The company offers their box known as the Better Box, which partners with leading brands in the CPG space to donate foods and goods. We talked to Cole about his initial idea for welfare, his current markets, where he sees the future of the company, and much more. So I know there are a million protein powders on the market these days, but when I tell you that this protein powder is my absolute favorite, I mean it. Sprout Living makes plant-based protein powders that help support my active lifestyle, Sprout Living only uses real, powerful superfood adaptogens and nootropics. Their blends are not only tasty, but also functional. No gums or thickeners like most protein powders use. No natural flavorings, just the whole real deal ingredients. My personal favorite is the vanilla Leucama. Head over to go.sproutliving.com backslash subscribing to wellness and use code sub2protein for 20% off your order. Cole, welcome to the show.
2: Hey Rachel, thanks for having me.
1: Um I am so excited to be chatting with you. So I'm really I mean we can dig right in, but you know, welfare kind of came out of a mistake if I'm not mistaken, um during the pandemic, a little pivot here and there. And so can you take us back to, you know, prior to the pandemic, pandemic hits what happens to Cole?
2: Yeah so it's a journey and i think a lot of people can relate to that journey whether it's making pivots within a company or pivoting out and starting your own thing but you know heading into that that early part of 2020 i was in the middle of building out an e-commerce marketplace that i was calling founders market and it was going to be like food network for cpg brands and founders where discovery would be really driven by original programming and content, putting these founders on screen with original programming, showcasing their products, but showcasing their personalities and what makes their brands brands. Uh, I still think that's a great idea. I think somebody could jump on that. I don't think anybody's really tapped into these founders the way Food Network has with chefs. So anyways, I was spending six or seven months prior to March of 2020, building up this content library getting to know a lot of founders around New York city um, and trying to build this thing. Then March comes along and I, all those types of content shoots that I had booked all got canceled. And a few of the founders, uh, Grady from Grady's, um, Alex from Pilot Kombucha, um, Tommy from sound, a bunch of different founders reached out saying, Hey, listen, You know, we're seeing what's going on with these hospitals, more healthcare workers, more patients are going into these hospitals than ever before. And there seems to be a dire need for just products. You would look at news reports and after also being on the ground those next couple of weeks, you would see firsthand, there wasn't any food around. Forget about like giving back. I mean, just like water bottles and coffee and things for healthcare workers, for patients, for families. There wasn't really anything around. Food service came to a halt. So cafeterias were repurposed for ICUs, vending machines weren't going stock. So there was just a big actual need for products. And so I thought when I was hearing this from a few founders, like, okay, is there something that I could do? Could I start something small and quick that kind of gets these products that these brands want to get into hospitals, gets them in there quickly and efficiently? Um, They were lost. They didn't know where to start. Um, and and is there a way to make some type of impact at this time when, you know, it seemed like all hell was breaking loose in New York? And that's when I started this campaign called Founders Give. And that was March of whatever, March 20th. And from there, everything kind of changed for me.
1: So everything changed. Um, and with that, you really made it your mission to help others. Um, you know, this founder made store, I guess you could say marketplace was really not focused on, I want to say like giving back the way welfare, what you started now is about. So, so you, so you have this pivot. What really was that, you know, besides COVID being the catalyst here, what was that trigger or what happened that almost was like, wow, I can, there's so many people that I can help. And There's so much out there that I can do.
2: It was that 10-week Founders Give campaign that opened up this whole world to me, seeing that there's a huge opportunity for a better approach. Um, from that small little kind of campaign that we started in the end of March to when we ended in June it went from a few brands to 300 brands. It went from two hospitals to 51 hospitals. We were the largest private relief effort in New York City during that time. I moved 2.2 million products into practically every facility across New York, reaching over 100,000 people. And I had no real experience in this space, but I saw over that time, you know, I got a peek behind the curtain on how small brands, on how medium-sized companies, on how large conglomerates approach this space, how much they want to give back and help, how much there's just an operational need to get you know, close to code product off of their floors, but to make some type of use of it. Um, but I also got to see how nonprofits operate and how slow and inefficient and impactful they can be for everything that they do good. There is a huge vacuum of what they could be. There is no innovation. There is no quickness, um, and and that there's a reason why our little campaign Founders Give was so successful was because there was, you know, there there there's a lot of organizations out there that are just content with the status quo and aren't willing to move quick. Um, so. Coming out of that campaign, I knew that we could build an organization, recalibrate it to a much larger problem, not an emergency relief, something during COVID, but to something much larger, more prevalent food insecurity. To take these food and beverage brands that I had worked with those past couple months and build off of that and see if we can, you know, build a, a, a program that starts small and humble, but has large. And long-term ambitions and aspirations. And that's when I started building out welfare. And I became more and more committed to finding innovative ways to solve this problem of food insecurity, to lift up 40, 50, 60, 70 million people that are struggling, Consistently struggling. And it seems like there's no end in sight. It doesn't matter how many government programs you roll out, how much money you give to the existing nonprofit dinosaurs that are out there, it still seems like people are waiting in pantry lines. They're buying terrible products at the corner store that are getting them sick. They're struggling paycheck to paycheck. Why is it still the same thing? And every nonprofit that's out there talks as if this is a brand new problem that we need to approach. It's like, you guys have been in the market for 40 years, 50 years, 100 years. You guys have been on the front lines of food insecurity or housing or education. Why isn't there any movement to the needle? And so that type of ethos paired with just pure altruism. That's what kind of powers welfare. And I'll get into what we're doing, the actual program and kind of long-term plans, but I call it ruthless altruism. Like I'm pissed and I think we should be pissed in this space. We shouldn't be content with just throwing money at these organizations that are okay with 50 million people still struggling and have no vision. So ruthless altruism is what really powers it, but I want to see change. And I think a lot of people do too.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I think, I mean, there's so many things you touched on there. And so I want to dig into what actually you're doing at Welfare because it's so unique. And I remember the first time I met you and you told me this, I was like, oh, my God, why, like, what? Why have I, why is not, why is no one else doing this? Um. So you have all these amazing relationships with CPG founders and founders in general and you realize there's this massive problem that really no one is solving. So, enter welfare. So, so what happens?
2: Okay, so, you know, look, our our mission is to solve food insecurity, but there's a second part to that mission, to tra- transform the state of grocery and nutrition in low-income communities across the country to become a transformative force. Long-term what that looks like is an affordable grocery store where we sell better for UCPG and other groceries at affordable prices. Paired to the purchasing power of individuals. That's where we're heading. We want to be this affordable grocer. How do we get there? Well, two years ago, again, coming out of that whole COVID campaign, we launched the first free food program in the country focused specifically on convenient nutrition, on improving access to convenient grab-and-go snacks and drinks and other types of packaged items, but the better-for-you options that are out there. How can we you know, take these products that you see on the shelves of Whole Foods and Erewhon and Sprouts and get them into families' hands that really desperately need them. So we launched the Better Box. It's a free monthly grocery subscription service where we are delivering every month to families living in public housing that qualify for the program. These are families that are on Snap or on WIC or at pantries, the exact customer we want to be focused on right now. And every month that BetterBox has a different collection of around $250 worth of better for you goods in those categories I outlined that are donated from this massive growing network of brands that we work with. Sometimes it's product that is, you know, is six months from shelf life that can't be sold in traditional retail, but is perfectly fine. Other times it's market ready inventory with full shelf life. But we're working with brands directly, taking in these product donations to our warehouse packing these boxes, and then distributing them every month to families signed up via these community outposts that we operate to families that we've signed up. So it's an end-to-end program that we run that we're growing across New York City, but again, squarely focused on these types of products. And there's a few reasons why convenient nutrition is where we're starting with. Um, The big one is feeding organizations that are out there, these nonprofits, food banks and food pantries, they don't focus on these types of categories. They are almost exclusively focused on the perimeter of the grocery store. And there's a lot of value there, obviously, produce and other perishables and protein and grains, but the center of the grocery store or the categories you see at the convenience store, those categories I think are just as important. You can't just allow give a family a bag of potatoes, tomatoes and onions and then be cool with them going to the corner store. And the only options on the shelf are 48 gram, 52 gram, 60 gram sugar sodas. You got to find ways to bring in better for you swaps to those types of products. And for us, it allows us to be a complement to what's out there. But We have ownership over this 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 approach. Nobody else is doing it. You know, we're bringing in kind bars and vitamin water, zero sugar. We're bringing in lemon perfects and sounds and rinds and these great options that are practical. They integrate easily into the day to day eating habits of any family. They make a huge impact, and it's laying the foundation for our long term ambition.
1: It's so amazing. Um, I I I need to sign up for my box my boxing experience I would love to do that yes. um so operationally you are currently sitting in your new warehouse which is woohoo yeah. so exciting yeah. that yeah. you've gotten to a exciting. state where you can even do this um and have a massive warehouse but I want to dig into a little bit of like the operations of how yeah. how it all happens because in theory this sounds you know perfect and great but it's operationally extremely difficult and it takes a lot of organization and structure that you put in place. So you have all these companies and, and I guess we can call it like brand part your partners, your brand brand partners. partners. Um, and then the end is these boxes get delivered to families that have signed up and been approved. So what is the process by which, how do you get product? And then how does product get to families?
2: This is the beauty of what we're building. And I, I, like, I like to name things and I like to brand things. We call this direct to need. So it's end to end. And it's a fatal flaw with other nonprofits where there's so much outsourcing and so many chefs in the kitchen. You don't know who the hell's planting the tree or delivering the food. It's so many different actors. For us, let's make it simple. So- We work directly with brands right now, just manufacturers. I'm not working with retailers and distributors yet. It's too complicated. We'll work with a brand, whether it's a startup here in New York or a larger, like a Coca-Cola when it comes to vitamin water and some of their like better for you options. Um, Some brands will make a quarterly commitment of product. Others will just make ad hoc donations when product becomes available. Um, and that product, again, like I said, can be product that is close to code, product that has a mislabel, a SKU that someone is sunsetting that didn't perform that well online, um, or it's market-ready inventory that brands want to donate as part of their mission. And so we'll coordinate with that company. We'll, we'll earmark that product. They'll ship it to our warehouse, whether it's freight or drop or they'll mail it. And we'll take it in. And then we'll organize a fulfillment right here in our space where we'll pack these boxes. We'll bring those boxes from A to B to these community outposts and then deliver them, distribute them to families that have signed up for the service. Now, we're focusing right now on families in public housing. It's the easiest way for us to kind of have a deep impact in a small geographic area. Easiest way for word of mouth to spread about the program. And a family can sign up right there at an outpost if they spot it. They can sign up online. They can call into our toll-free number. There's a variety of different ways that people can sign up for the service. But end-to-end, it's the simplest way to do this. A lot of organizations go. I challenge anybody that's listening. I challenge you, Rachel. Look at the operations of a nonprofit. Don't be... Don't be worked up about the marketing and the mission. Look at how they're literally doing it. And you'll scratch your head. Anybody who is in a startup or is interested in business or whatever, you look at how nonprofits work and it is so weird and so many smoke and mirrors of who, like with with any type of like environment organization, who's actually planting the tree, who's building the well, Who's doing these things? It's rarely the actual organization that you're donating to. And for us, I I think that that is, it has to be one of the biggest things for us is no matter what we do, we need to have complete ownership as much as we possibly can outside of actually making the product. We want to do as much as we possibly can, volunteer management, customer experience. So feedback loop, whenever we distribute a box, asking families what they thought about the products. The marketing collaborations with the brands to amplify the partnership, the warehousing, every part of it should be under our domain. That keeps it efficient. It keeps costs actually quite low, and it's scalable.
1: Yeah. So if I'm a family, well, if I, I'm a, if I'm part of a family in a low income area in New York um how how would i even know about welfare and how would i even if i let's say i don't have social media let's say i i don't know how, how am i finding out about this program to be able to even sign up
2: totally so we're going you know not only is the public housing our initial focus but we're activating community by community so we activated in brooklyn we've activated in east harlem we're going to be launching two new neighborhoods later this year And so when we do that, where there's a variety of different ways to reach this customer, it's different than how other brands or retailers have to activate a neighborhood where they really lean almost entirely into digital. So for us, it is a lot of physical. It's little posters in the lobbies. It's getting word out through tenant association presidents and building management, community board, local politicians. Those types of things just help gen up a little bit of interest in what we're doing. Also, we do some direct-to-door kind of flyers. But listen, like the program is a slam dunk. Word of mouth is huge. And we don't struggle to find the customer. There is a lot of need for good food, healthy food, affordable food, or in our case, you know, a free food program for families that are just don't have enough money, enough money to, to afford any food, especially towards the second half of the month. So word spreads quickly. Especially when they hear about the types of products that we're delivering and how these things are a huge win for, say, kids and moms and dads, senior citizens. You know, a, a kind bar, like, oh my god, this is awesome. So the word spreads easily, but we still do that work to get the word out through all these other channels. Um, But yeah, word of mouth is 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 our is our go to for sure.
1: I mean, people people look past word of mouth marketing, but man, is it is it successful? Um, so I remember the first time we met and you were explaining this to me, one of the things that stuck with me was this idea You in, in some of your boxes, you've had four sigmatic and, you know, a common misconception is people that maybe can't afford four sigmatic or they don't want people in low income areas, don't want mushroom adaptogens or whatnot, rather than only people that can afford to shop at Air one are the ones that want adaptogens, and I found this paradoxical really energy. You were like, actually, they love adaptogens just as much as anyone else, and it's something I that. And and so I'm curious, like, what has been the overarching feedback? Obviously, super positive on the boxes, but yeah, totally. I'm assuming a lot of these people are not, you know, your airwan shoppers that love the new hip, this functional mushroom or this. So, so what's kind of been that perception of bringing these new age CPG products into communities that? Are probably used to eating more so like fast food or something like that
2: the consumer palette and all and how it's changed over the past 10 15 years that's across economic and socioeconomic levels or areas or however we want to frame it it doesn't matter if you're in an affluent neighborhood or a low-income neighborhood families more than ever want less sugar less salt less fat more functionality but you go into an affluent neighborhood those options are on the shelf and they're within reach Go into a poor neighborhood, they're nowhere to be seen. But there is a desire. And I actually argue that in poorer neighborhoods where there is huge levels of chronic disease, of diabetes, of heart conditions, there's more of a need for these types of products. You know, you go into any type of neighborhood where an Erewhon is, it's all these brands that are kind of selling the same exact product, all competing against each other. And the folks that are walking in just kind of want the product. They don't need the product. In our neighborhoods, or not just in cities, but across the country, any lower-income neighborhood, there's a deep need for less sugar in the sodas. Families really, really want to be drinking less sugar, or at least have the option to drink less sugar. You Beverage aisles across the country in these lower-income neighborhoods are a complete disaster. And it shouldn't be a surprise that around that, that store, everyone's got diabetes, so moms and dads they want to give their daughter, their son, they want to have give them an option like a sound or a limit perfect or a sanzo or whatever, something with some functionality or less sugar, something like that. So, you know, being able to meet that need in the market. Yes, through a free food program. Yes, with donated product. You can see it. There's a hook. There's something here. And there is a massive misconception by the general audience, by more affluent kind of folks that, that there needs to be this massive education hurdle to get over, or that individuals won't really have a desire for mushroom protein powder or something with collagen in it. And that just couldn't be less true. So that's why, you know, looking down the line, there is this larger vision. There's this larger opportunity to reach this customer with these types of products in a retail format. That's what we're building to because we know there is deep demand here. There is just a problem with the dollars and the cents. And can someone in the supply chain be a creative nonprofit, you know, partner um, to bridge this gap? Because there is deep demand. These brands want to be in these neighborhoods. I know they do. They want to reach more customers at the end of the day. Maybe we can become that gateway. But yeah, in the two years that we've been operating the better box the response has been off the charts the categories are simple but the products are fun they're interesting it's exactly what you'll see in any type of whole foods or Erewhon. and some products honestly don't land and that's perfectly fine and and treating treating this this family this individual the senior citizen just like any other customer it's a part of my approach to this whole thing they're not clients or constituents they're customers it's free who cares How many free activations have for-profit brands done? Are they not considering that person a future customer or a customer today? That's how I treat them. And I think that that is that 's my approach to dignifying this whole world is just treat people like customers, listen to them, but right now meet that need there's a massive need for these types of products.
3: This is Caroline from the subscribing to Wellness team. I work on content and I couldn't be more excited to share with you all my incredible experience with inside tracker from a blood biomarker perspective. I'm obsessed with Inside Tracker because without access to your own biomarkers, it's impossible to have that pulse check on how you're actually doing health-wise, how to improve for the sake of your health today and 20 years into the future, and if your current style of living is actually working for you. The first time I did Inside Tracker, they helped me realize I had elevated creatine kinase, a marker of excess muscle inflammation due to overtraining, and low ferritin, a marker of your iron stores. By using their action-oriented educational portal, I was able to get both of these markers back into the green by changing my exercise routine and taking a liquid iron supplement. My energy levels and performance in the gym are so much better now, and I couldn't be more pumped about it. If you want to try Inside Tracker out for yourself, you can use my code by visiting insidetracker.com slash sub2wellness to get 20% off. That's insidetracker.com slash sub2wellness. I can't wait to hear what you think.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you 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 touch on something there. you know, although the box is free, whether these people end up one day maybe being able to afford these products on their own, they they threw, they are customers. they like yeah. they, they are consuming the product. They are customers. and a a brand like Kindbar or a brand like Sound could gain a lot of insight from understanding. You know, yeah. is this a product that could land across the country in, in low-income areas and high-income areas? And I think, you know, often as us in this CPG world, we think about the coast and then we think, okay, what can land on the coast? And then what can yeah. land in the middle of the country? What's in Walmart? What's in Air One? And And this is a very interesting way to kind of take data and use an effective way. Yeah,
2: And at the end of the day, there is no way though still for it to make economic sense because these brands are at a premium price. And retailers, you're just you're going to get the bottom of the barrel. Maybe the only thing is liquidation. So there's just a huge opportunity for us to hopefully fill, and we're going to work towards that. But, um, you know, brands expanding their idea of who the ideal customer is is going to be critical in us achieving our mission. The ideal customer cannot only be the person walking out of SoulCycle grabbing a kombucha and being a little curious to maybe grab that kombucha. Oh, wow, that branding looks cool. Like that can't be the only ideal customer. What about the single the single mom with two or three kids who's working a couple of jobs who really wants a healthier option in between her day, you know, in the middle of the day? Like, why can't that be an ideal customer? And so I understand there's economic uh, barriers to making that a reality. And again, that's where we think... Uh, us as a 501c3 can be really interesting in the market as a competitor, as a gateway um, into this customer's household.
1: Yeah. So you touched on this a couple of times, but fast forward, um, obviously you just launched your own, you opened your own warehouse, which is changing operations completely, but down the road, you know, you see welfare as being a actually IRL, retail store so tell me what that would look like and how kind of people would interact in that space
2: yeah so what we do today it's incredibly a streamlined program for in-kind donations and it's a great way for us to land in a neighborhood but it doesn't solve food insecurity and it would we would be kidding ourselves if it did to solve food insecurity you gotta disrupt retail you have to You have to figure out a way to sell products at dynamic pricing or at lower pricing. And you have to do it in a, a feasible way that works with the current players out there, the manufacturers, the distributors, you can't be this experimental retailer. That's like a co-op that's not going to scale. So you have to figure out this beautiful marriage of all these different moving parts. And we do see this model, this, this convenience store format, grocer that can live on the corner of every low-income neighborhood across the country that is stocked with fully wholesale product. We're not dealing with donated product. But the the key to any of these stores working is the pricing is paired to the individual's purchasing power, dynamic pricing. So what one person could pay is going to be completely different than what another person can pay. If you can walk into Whole Foods right now and pay... for that beverage in our store, it will be $2.99. But for someone who's on a membership card with us, who's qualified for discounted pricing, maybe it's $1.29. Maybe it's $0.99. Maybe it's $0.79. And so allowing individuals across the entire spectrum of purchasing power to interact with our store, for us to not be price competitive um, to other stores when it comes to a more affluent customer, but being able to reach a new customer at a price point that they can actually stomach, that's competitive against the unhealthier options. So now there's a an Olipop that's 99 cents. That is actually competitive to the 99 cent seven up that's across the street. And so finding that marriage where we can bring in customers across the spectrum is going to be incredibly important. But, you know, I think that that's something that is disruptive. I think that we have a lot of confidence that there is a desire for that. We we have been for the past two years, not just delivering food, but again, like I said earlier, asking questions. What would you pay for the Bonza? What would you pay for the sound if it was on the shelf? Would you pay for it? Would you even buy this? And there's a lot of confidence that yes, if these products were priced at different tiers and at different levels for different customers, they would buy. It's just a question of, of dollars and cents. So that's going to be the key to any type of store. Beyond that, the functions of, of how that store will work, we have a lot of ideas on the, on the whiteboard. Um, but you know, the goal is to get to a pilot as quickly as we possibly can. Um, we have a timeline for a pilot, maybe a couple pilots um, here in New York in the neighborhoods that we've been really developing a relationship in. And, uh, and we can see where we can go. There's a lot of great models out there. There's a lot of great one-offs. Um, but I think that this pricing is going to be the, the real difference maker here.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. I think um, it's even an idea that can be taken, like your store specifically. But if we think about it just in the general context of other neighborhoods, like dynamic pricing is something that theoretically could be um, a thing in just about any neighborhood. Um, you know, like someone walking into two people walk into whole foods, they probably have very different budgets in mind or what they could afford yet. Theoretically they both deserve or should be able to have that healthy option. Um, and so the, I think dynamic pricing, you know, I mean, we see, we see it in D to C, um, why is it not
2: exactly. And, and with food, you gotta be creative. You gotta be creative. We can't just we can't surrender to the fact that it's like, listen, this is a capitalist system. You know, those that have can afford the better options. Those that can't are going to be eating the worse options. That's not sustainable, especially when we think about the health effects of these bad products out there and how it has an effect on everybody. When you have people funneling into hospitals with, with these rates of diabetes and heart conditions and high blood pressure, it, it's not sustainable for our country. It's been going on for the past- 30, 40 years kind of unchecked. So you have to find a creative way to get in there. And I, I truly believe that the for-profit retailers, they can't do anything about it. They just can't. It doesn't matter what they do. They could discount apples and bananas for snap recipients. That's not going to move the needle. I think that us as a nonprofit is the key and we can absorb the losses. We can be subsidized. And I think it could be a new model. And when it comes to food, it's it's needed. You know, we can be a little bit more uh, sharky when you're looking at other sectors, whatever it may be, you know, like cars and jewelry. You can be a little more sharky with food. This is a basic right. We got to figure out a way to make sure that everybody in the country has access to healthy food. I mean, what what are we doing? We're going to be all greedy when it comes to food like that doesn't make any sense here. So, um, you know that's 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 what's funneling our our, our visions and in our in our future there. It's just how can we be this disruptor in this space that it longs for disruption and no one's out there doing anything.
1: Yeah, um, it's such an insane and beautiful mission that you have. And I think a lot of people overlook it and also don't understand the food system. And I think you've done yeah. such a good job of boiling it down to you know, these people need help and I'm going to do something to help them. Um, So I'm curious, we like to ask all of our guests that come onto the show, how they subscribe to wellness. Um, So what are some things that you do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to be able to show up not only for yourself, but for welfare and your family and friends?
2: That's a great question Um, because I am an absolute workaholic. <laughs> so I could probably do it a little bit of wellness, a little bit of, uh, you know, these timed breaks and, uh, you know, 30 minutes to decompress and all that type of stuff. I, I think honestly, for me, um, you know, wellness, I try to, I, I try to have a balanced diet. Honestly, I think that that's a big thing and, in in and, and being You know, not not overthinking food and drink too much, Um, you know, where I have to be on this strict, strict schedule and counting calories and making it this massive, massive headache. Just having a balanced approach, I think, across everything when it comes to fitness, sleep, water. There's so many fads. There's so many apps. There's so much noise in this space. That for me, it's just having balance and doing things that are practical, that work within my means and work within my schedule. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a nut. You know, the other night in this warehouse, I slept over here. I had to. I had an early inbound coming in of 20 pallets. I had to unload off the truck. I had to, I had to sleep here. So with that type of schedule, like I, I need to find things that are practical and that keep my head screwed on tightly. Otherwise, if I was doing cold plunges and, you know, eating the fucking mushrooms or whatever it may be, like, you know, it would be too much. So I think balance is, is my key.
1: You know, <laughs> that might be the best answer that we've had because it felt so real. I think, you know, don't get me wrong. I, everyone has to do what's best for them. Um, and I probably, I personally probably lean more on the the psycho end of things and, I, but I know that about myself. Um, but I think you're, I mean, you're, you're so honest and real. And I think more people need to do that. And I also think people, we, we now live in a society where people have these, because everyone else is doing something, they feel like they have to. Um, and it's funny you mentioned the cold plunge. I feel like The cold plunge has been this new fad, and people are like, "Oh, I have a cold plunge at my house because I saw this person have a cold plunge at my house." I'm like, "Okay." And then, and then
2: all, and then inevitably, we're gonna see the, you know, the big study done that shows that like, it's like increases a heart problem because you're shocking your heart, and then we'll move on to something else. I just think balance and just, you know. You know, not following the fads has been successful for me. But, you know, honestly, like I could probably take a little bit more of a break on like Sundays as <laughs> you decompress. I think that would be nice.
1: There you go. It's all about balance. So, where can, so a couple questions. Where can people learn more about welfare? And then, where can, Cause we have a lot of founders that listen to this podcast. So where can founders, if they have, you know, extra product or want to get involved in welfare, where can, where can people kind of like touch base with that?
2: Yeah. Welfare.org. W E L L F A R E.org. That's a great place to start. If you're in New York city, come volunteer, see it firsthand, come into the warehouse and see how we do this thing. Go out to these distribution outposts, sign up families, distribute boxes, see it firsthand Um, obviously we're, we're fundraising always as a nonprofit, it's a kind of a different animal, how we have to grow financially. We're always fundraising. So if anyone wants to donate, but I always push people to volunteer, honestly. And then for founders and CPG brands, you can reach out right there. We have a partner page. You'll see a bunch of the brands we work with, some of the biggest brands, emerging companies, some great startups. And then we work with companies beyond CPG too, beyond the manufacturers, whether it is for fundraising purposes or a, a corporate, so, you know, corporate day of service in our warehouse. Those are some great opportunities that we can help develop. But for CPG brands, reach out, learn more about how we do this thing. Um, it's a great value add for brands of all sizes to get that product off the floor, make sure it goes into an impactful program, get that enhanced tax deduction. We do some fun stuff on Instagram and LinkedIn to amplify any type of donation. So we're trying to build something that is a no brainer for brands of all sizes. That's why when we go out to Expo West, there's 50, 60, 65 brands that are out there that we've already worked with. So we're only growing this community and I'm looking for more brands to join it every day.
1: Amazing, Cole. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, And I uh, look forward to boxing more boxes.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, Rachel.
1: Today's episode is brought to you in partnership with Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to see what the hype was all about. Now I literally can't miss a day. It's the first thing I put in my body every single morning. As someone who suffers from IBS, AG1 has completely improved my gut health and allows me to have sustained energy throughout the day. And since I'm always on the go, the travel packs make it so easy to stay consistent wherever I am.
0: Love it. I've personally been taking AG1 for a while. And as someone who lacked a multivitamin routine, AG1 has been the perfect product to mix into my morning routine. Truthfully, I was a skeptic at first, as I'm with most supplements and vitamins, but I felt noticeably better at the start of morning workouts and definitely have seen an improvement in my digestive health. I tend to mix my AG1 with two tablespoons of lemon juice and coconut water, and it's delicious.
1: Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health.
0: And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash stw. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash stw to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness and we'll see you next time.